I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. All right, here we go. It's the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Bennett, Sean McIndoe with you uh, for, I don't know, next hour, uh, whatever it is. We're going to talk Jesse Granger. Jesse Granger is going to drop by. We'll chat about uh, Oilers and, and, and Golden Knights. And tee up, obviously, the Leafs in a, in, in a game two this evening. But I got to tell you, Sean, I'm, I'm shocked that as we get set to do this pod, that maybe the other Ontario-based team, might be getting a little bit of oxygen this week. Little bit. Let's not get little. crazy. Yeah. Let's not get crazy. But yes, uh, because uh, boy, I uh, Mr. Celebrity correspondent over here. Oh That's my right. gosh, you're you're sliding into Ryan Reynolds' DMs, and now <laughs> you are getting exclusive interviews with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. I like- I want to talk about everything that he said and all the news that came out of that. But how do you even get Snoop Dogg on yeah. the phone? What, yeah. what is that process like? Oh, I, exactly. I, I want to walk you and the listeners through this. It's fascinating, right? Because, like, first of all, I've been chiseling away at this for like four months, five months. 
like this group, which is headed by a guy uh, out of LA, uh, Nico Sparks is his name. Um, I wrote about them in January, but like everything, Sean was like shrouded in secrecy with these guys. Like they were like, oh, we have this A-list celebrity. And, you know, when, when the time is right, we'll let everyone know. And I'm like, well, the time is now. I was like in January. I'm like, the time is now. And they're like, no, no. Like, honestly, every week or two, I would send a note to people associated with their group. Like, anytime you guys want to do something, let me know. Can I guess? Can I? I couldn't get it. And then all of a sudden, last week, over the weekend, I was able to, to chisel out that it's Snoop. And now I'm thinking, okay, now how do I shoot my shot to get the interview, right? Mm-hmm. And so I basically put a request in with some people that know some people. But Snoop did some interviews with The Athletic in 2020. Gentilly got him in 2021, but that was over email. Okay. And if you recall, go back and read, like when, when I think Gentilly did a piece on when they went back to the gin and juice jerseys, the Penguins went back to the retro. Right. Okay. And Snoop did an email interview with him. And like Gentilly left in all of the, uh, and I guess that that is the stuff. Like if somebody emails you something, I guess you don't, you can't technically clean up the quotes, right? Like I, it's. I, can't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a Pulitzer like Gentilly, so I don't know exactly yeah. what the rules are. But, so anyway, uh, so he does that. So I, we do have some contact with the camp through the athletic and anyway, so I put the request in and it came back to me. Hey, uh, he's going to do Stephen A. He's going to do first up on ESPN. And I thought, ah, damn, like I missed, I missed it. So, but I said, listen, mm-hmm. if he's able to do something and then after he does the ESPN interview, I'm like, I don't think he really talked about Ottawa very much. Like, I, I think a lot of people here would love to know. So I kept, yeah. was repeat, And then finally his, uh, his manager got back to me and said, okay, we're going to do this in the next 24 hours. Keep your phone ready. So can you imagine yes, the- I love it. That angst. is such an A-celebrity move. You can just you have to be there at all times. The angst, like I didn't want to go to the bathroom. And then, yeah. and then in my mind, I'm thinking the, phone, the call's going to come in. Is it going to be like S-dog? On the <laughs> well, uh, was it? call display, yeah. Like what? Like what? How does this work? Exactly, yeah. And uh, you know, then finally on 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 Wednesday, I'll give his manager credit. He actually texted me and said, "Can you do this in twenty minutes?" I said, okay. "Yeah." Like this is this is awesome, right? Like give okay. me a bit of a heads up. You got to tell me, did when the phone rings and you pick it up, is this like is he on the other end or is this like one of those like please hold for Mr. Snoop Dogg things where That's like exactly. they don't even get him until they know they got you? Yeah, go for Snoop. No, no, it was uh, <laughs> uh, it was basically his manager phoning me and okay. he said, "All right, Ian, I got Snoop uh, here." And <laughs> wow, it's it's surreal, right? Like it's it, and then it, how it, do you start that conversation? Is it just like, "Hey, Snoop." Yeah. What's up, Mr. Dog? Like, yeah. what's 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 is even it, is the it, lead there? Yeah, is it Mr. Dog? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm like, hey, listen, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to to chat about you know your bid or whatever. And I gotta tell you, the I was blown away. I spent about 20, 22 minutes, whatever it was, on the phone with him, and he was great. Like he was he he gave thoughtful answers. It mm. didn't feel like he was like unplugged from the internet. Like, it wasn't like he was, you know, in my mind, I was like, is this guy going to be texting while he's talking to me? Like. He sure, was all in. Yeah. Okay. So let me, okay, actually, let me ask Danielle this question. Danielle is our producer. And I don't know what, what the deal is on, po- like, am I allowed to swear? I can swear on a podcast, right? Or, or is that, 
Is that like, a, I don't know, because I'm like- <laughs> On I, this I, network, you can. Yeah, it's more of a Friday thing, but go ahead. Can I swear? And, I, and yeah. the only reason why is I feel like I want to take the listener and you right through the true uh, kind of- I, I got to tell you, I'm excited right now because I've known you forever and you barely ever swear. So I don't this swear. Is like, I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a swearing guy. And I grew up kind of, you know, I came through, I was a Sportsnet guy, a TSN guy. Yeah. So, I've, I kind of live in these tight parameters where I don't really swear, but I feel like to tell this story, I need to just give you the exact quote of what Snoop said and I'm then so how, excited I, right now. how I cleaned right. it up for the article. Let it fly. So, so he's talking to me he, he, about how much he loved hockey and that, you know, he didn't just start watching hockey with the gin and juice jersey or like, or like even when Gretzky, he says to me, and I quote, I was watching motherfucking Marcel Dion back in the day. This is what he says to me. I was watching motherfucking Marcel Dion. And in my mind, and he's like, you know, the purple and gold jerseys. That's, he's like, I am, that's, so I then cleaned up the quote when okay. I when I wrote it in the article. It's Snoop looks back with fondness watching oh. Marcel <laughs> <laughs> But that's the quote. That's beautiful, That's man. the quote. Oh. And, but, but, but he was exactly what you would have anticipated, which was super engaging. And you know what I was, I was blown away by? He, his his uh, real passion and knowledge. Like one of the things he's mentioning, he's like, come on. He's like, we got two teams in Canada left in the Stanley Cup. He's like, we got to change that. And if I take over, you know, I think we got a team that's on the vert. Like, like he isn't a guy that is just unaware of hockey. Like, like he's, he's very in tune with the game. And, he, and where I really agreed with him is he was just, he put the NHL on blast for two things. One was the lack of marketing of stars, which he was mm -hmm. like, he was dumbfounded why McDavid, he's like, McDavid should be on every uh, television screen in, in the United States. And he's like, he's not. And then the other thing where I, and I really do agree with him on this, is he wants diversity at the highest level of, of the league so that they can sort of have that filter down and that these, these sort of PR hot potatoes that the NHL has dealt with. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, you know, Mitchell Miller, uh, pride mm -hmm. night, whatever, all these things that seemingly it feels like the league sometimes fumbles these things. His point is they would fumble them less or be less likely to fumble them if there was better representation at the ownership level. And like, like, like when you hear this guy speak, Sean, he is so intelligent about sports and, and he just, He's just so passionate. And, and anyway, I don't know where this is all going to go. I don't know that he's going to be the, the victorious bidder. But what a what a turn of events in Ottawa to yeah. go from arguably the most despised owner in the sport to like the whiplash I have right now. Bell I, I can't, of the ball yes. in the celebrity world. Now, now help me uh, and 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 the rest of us through this because this is a different bid than Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. So we we're we're now in a situation where we got to pick a celebrity. Like, a, a, do we have to pick sides here? By the way, good luck to everyone who doesn't have a celebrity that's bidding on this. You know, good yeah. luck to like the guy with the successful realtor business or or you know whatever it is that's uh, thinking he's going to get some some oxygen on this. Um, this is this is this is one or the other, right? Or is it possible that they could like Voltron this together and somehow create like the uh, um, you know, the, the, the A plus lister bid. Well, somebody was telling me that back in the day, 
suddenly reminded me that Snoop and Ryan Reynolds appeared. They probably, and I should have asked them this, but they both voiced characters in an animated movie back in the day. Uh, and now I'm blanking on the one. Okay, wow. All I, right, it, now I gotta, now I gotta hit up Snoop's IMDb page. Okay, just look it up. Snoop, Ryan Reynolds voice. It was like the movie with like a snail is the fastest. Uh, what, what was that movie? I'm totally blanking now. That doesn't. Uh, that doesn't sound like a good movie right there, but... Uh, I don't know why I know this title, but I think oh, it's no. Turbo. Turbo. Yeah, Turbo. Yeah. Turbo. Okay. Turbo. All right. They both... So, I don't know. It's a bit of a stretch to say that the two guys that voiced Turbo together, it was... It was They're sitting in friends, plain basically. sight. basically. Yeah. At all... The whole time. Uh, I, I don't... Like... Hey. Here's what... You know, I'm looking at the page right now. I'm looking at some of the other people in this movie. Who else? Who Can else we get Samuel there? L. Jackson in on this bid? Maya Rudolph, Bill Hader, I mean, Ken Jong. oh my gosh, this could be, we got to get the band back together and just go full on turbo. Oh my God. If I could lock down a Maya Rudolph interview, that would, you know what, that would be elite. Well, I mean, just, you, you already, like, I love with the Snoop, you just like slipped in there. Like, oh, you know, I made some calls to people who know people. Like, you're already that plugged in. Yeah, I feel right. like this is, you know, we could, uh, we could absolutely do this. Yeah. This is this was a movie according to IMDb it lost 50 million dollars so that's uh you know that that's so it, that seems it, on par uh yeah. seems it, like we're already locked into <laughs> the uh, the Ottawa Senators way of doing things. Oh, I knew it. Dude. Insert Senators joke here. I knew it was Come coming. on man, like it, you you have Snoop performing at intermission, Samuel L Jackson does the I want to hear Samuel L Jackson do the gladiator introduction. Oh, get like, that guy I want back! Just, yeah, yeah, get that guy back, or let it be Ryan Reynolds. I don't know who, whoever, whoever we got to get. Paul Giamatti was involved in this movie. Maybe he can be the gladiator, but uh, just uh, have uh, have Jackson do the uh, voice. Can you imagine if you like and like like I, and I want to make this clear for the listeners and for everybody too. Like I personally don't have a horse in this race. Like I put, I have no vested interest. If it's, if it's sure. uh, Ryan Reynolds, fantastic. You're close friends with both of them. Uh, you don't want to yeah. pick, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, whether it, it's Snoop, whatever. All I want to see in Ottawa is competent, stable, committed ownership. That's it. Like that, mm -hmm. honestly, that's all I want to see here. And for anybody, because I see, like I see now people say like, oh my God, Ian is so deep in, uh, you know, the Snoop camp's pocket where, hey, I'm yeah, not. Because he did one interview? No, and, and that's just Jeez. my point, yeah. is I think that there was a significant amount of intrigue around this bid and some questions that needed to be asked. I asked them. It's not my intention. I don't intend to be, uh, you know, a mouthpiece or whatever for any group. I don't think that's right. But in this particular case, I did think that there was enough information that needed to be kind of, uh, you know, sussed out that I think an, an interview was important and relevant. Of but I Absolutely. don't believe... In, like, here, here's my one piece of advice to who's ever going to take over the Ottawa Senators. Do not have a singular relationship with one media person. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't yep. just put all of your eggs in one basket. Have a relationship with four or five outlets that cover this team. There's four or five outlets that cover this team. There's me with The Athletic. There's Post Media. There's Le Dois, which is a French publication. There's Sportsnet. There's TSN. There's TSN Radio. You need to have a relationship with everybody and you need to be accountable to everybody. And that's my only wish. That's my yep. only wish for this franchise moving forward. Let, I, let me ask you this one, though, because th this is the one thing that I, I think 
when when you sort of broke the story earlier in the week that that Snoop uh, was involved um, and then got the interview, I, I mean, for a lot of us, we're just, you know, it's 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 a fantastic story. A lot of the punchlines write themselves. But when you actually get down to it, the part of the appeal of the Ryan Reynolds involvement was that this guy was a local guy. He had connections yeah. to Ottawa, you know, had spent time here. He, this wasn't just some celebrity parachuting in because this happened to be the team that was up for sale. This, this was a guy who, you know, you really felt like if it wasn't the Senators or, you know, maybe, maybe the Canucks would be the other team, but, you know, anyone else, he wasn't interested. Now you've got a different sort of celebrity presence coming in where there isn't that connection, where it's L.A. based. It's, you know, and I know it, it, when he was talking to you, you know, Snoop was saying, oh, you know, I have an Eric Carlson jersey from when I played Blues Fest. And, you know, OK, that's nice, but that's not that's not the same connection. Is what's the reaction there in Ottawa? Because I'm not there right now. Is it are people excited about this? Is there any sort of fear that, wait a second, are these are now outsiders coming in? To, to grab our team? Yep. Like, how, how should that be viewed? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's a great point. And I think that there is that fear. And that's, this is, look, this is where I'm going to give the Ryan Reynolds Remington group a ton of credit. They ran this thing out in the PR race. They got such a huge lead. It's almost, from a public perception standpoint, doesn't it feel almost insurmountable? Like, like all of the things it, from- It did a week ago. Yeah. and. So that's, that's the challenge for this group. Now, the problem for the, the Sparks group is this, and this goes for any other group, but, but in particular, the Sparks group, I think for months, they were kind of cloaked in anonymity. Nobody knew anything. And I, like I said, I tried for months to try to get information from these guys. They wouldn't tell me anything. So people were saying, I don't really know much about them. So now I've been able to get a little bit of information. And now people are saying, I don't like the way that they're coming out and saying everything. It was, it was almost going to be a no-win situation for them. Mm -hmm. Like, so that part is difficult. Uh, I think that there's always going to be in Ottawa a fear of people not connect, uh, connected to the community that own the team because we just lived it. We just lived it. The guy who owned the team before unplugged the team's charity. Like, mm -hmm. can we just take a moment to understand where we are coming from? Like, and so you can forgive Ottawa fans for being suspicious of outside. I, I don't yeah. blame, let me put it this way. Let me phrase this way. I don't blame any Ottawa fan for being suspicious about outside ownership because we just watched it unfold. So yeah. that's a guy down in is, Bermuda and in, and, and even, you know, with Melnick, yeah. when there was a big story, he would go on the radio in Toronto. That was his main totally. outlet. He, in, in a yeah. different city, put aside the rivalry with the Leafs, but he would go to a different city and, and do the media rounds there. Um, so you can absolutely understand. Now, in, in the piece that you wrote, Snoop's talking about how, like, look, I will be there. He's not, he's not going to pick up shop and move to Ottawa. But he's, can you imagine he's, Snoop is God. living in the Glebe? The Glebe. That's, Just, a, that's a neighborhood in Ottawa, by the way. Excuse me. Can you turn the music down? We're trying to, we're trying to run our garage sale. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's so I, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see it turn out. And like I say, boy, if you're if you're one of those other bids, better find a celebrity, man. You got to get on there. You got to because, uh, boy, what a letdown this would be if at the end of all of it. It's just like, you know, some some 
real estate mogul who just has like the better plan and yeah the higher bid and hey we're excited right everyone and it'll just be oh man yeah anyway so this this has been a fascinating week and we'll see how this all plays out it, it's a, it's a it's a for the for a change it's a fun time i think to be an ottawa fan and uh and and, and be excited about i want ottawa fans to be excited about ownership so yep. we'll see where this this all goes but yeah this is a crazy uh crazy crazy week okay so Let's talk about the other team in the province. Speaking of crazy. Speaking of crazy. Um, did the first round against Tampa kind of just inject you with a lot of chill for game? Like losing game one against the Panthers, you kind of like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been there, I wouldn't, that, or, or I wouldn't no. say a lot of chill. I wouldn't say a lot of chill. I do, you know, it, it was interesting because as a fan, like having watched my team not make the second round in almost 20 years, I sort of had to... You know, I, I kind of had that feeling in game one against Panthers, like, oh, right, I remember this now, the whiplash between, like, how a series just gets more and more intense and more, as the longer the series goes, just everything feels like it's 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 so crucial. And it builds and it builds and it builds, and then you win the series, and you start the next series, and it's almost like a little bit of a reset. So, I you know, I'm not panicking over losing game one. Um it, it by any stretch, but uh, no, I mean not all the angst. I mean, I I wrote this on on Twitter or somewhere. Nobody enjoys the playoffs when your team is <laughs> is in them, right? Nobody has yeah, fun. That's a good point. For sixty minutes, like, oh great, this is this is really good. I've really enjoyed that three hours that I just spent watching my team win in overtime. You enjoy watching your team win. You you enjoy what comes after that and the memories and everything, but you you don't like the actual games and. So, you know, the thing with the Leafs is the worst case scenario is now off the table. As far as had they lost in the first round again, it was over. It was going to get blown up. Everybody was getting fired. You know, we, we all know that. Now, that doesn't mean that just making the second round is, you know, some monumental achievement. In fact, you could absolutely make an argument that if they go ahead and lose to the Panthers, who were the eight seed in a series where they have home ice and, you know, all of this, that that will be, you know, a major disappointment and that you'll look back and say, you know, that that season was not a success just because they won one round with a uh, an incredibly talented team. But it, it, it can't be the disaster that it would have been. So that lightens it a little bit. But that's kind of balanced out by the fact that, OK, you're now one step closer to the ultimate goal. So failing now in in some senses is even worse than uh, than failing early. So we'll see how it plays out, man. Panthers are a hell of a team. They they are I mean, I I I don't remember where they they were at series-wise the last time we talked last Thursday if it was 3 to 1 or if it had been 3 to 2 by that point, but I mean, I I I'm sure if I went back and listened to that show, I I bet we spent maximum 3 seconds talking about the Florida Panthers yeah. in the future as as anything other than a speed bump for the Boston Bruins. Um and uh, I, we weren't the only ones. And uh, it's a full credit to them, man. They are they are something to watch. I, I spent all of last year pumping the tires of the Florida Panthers, yes. saying this is a fun team. You should need to be watching this team. This is your bandwagon team, and and all of this stuff. Uh, I I now I renounce all of that now. Uh, I, I have nothing good to say about the team uh, now that they're playing my Leafs. But um, this is. Uh, it is a hell of a team to watch and 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 watching Matthew Kachuk kind of make that 
final evolutionary step to like full on no qualifiers needed top tier superstar in the league uh has really been something so uh yeah it's uh, we'll see see where it goes game two tonight um you know goes without saying real big one for the Leafs I mean you go go down to Florida down to nothing that's that's even even in a postseason where home ice hasn't meant anything that's not a situation you want to be in you know I the reason why we only spent three seconds talking about the Panthers being down 3-1 last Thursday is because I was trying to calm you down and walk you through how the Leafs <laughs> series was going to yep. go with them up 3-1. Did it not play out exactly? I, I, I got, Almost. I, I, oh, I, I only picked Bunting to score the mm-hmm. Game 6 OT winner, but it played out exactly like I said it would. They, you they you, would you lose said game that five. they were going to lose Game 5. I think you said 4-1 and ended up being 4-2. to I know. And then you said, and then Game 6, Bunting, overtime winner, and they and and Michael Bunting comes back into the lineup for game six, has a great game. He's flying yep. everywhere. I mean, there was a moment, obviously, when they go into overtime again and they're one goal away again from winning a playoff series. I, you know, my I'm I'm kind of in a different zone, but there was a moment where I thought, hey, if Michael Bunting gets this goal, this will be the greatest prediction, the greatest and most specific prediction yeah. ever made. <laughs> And uh, didn't didn't quite work out that way, but yeah, I mean, you got you you got all the big picture stuff. You nailed it. So man, I, having I said that, I don't have a vision for this oh, series. I, I wish I could tell you all right. that I could close my eyes and see this. I have no idea. And you know what? I think the problem is with this series is the Bobrovsky wild card. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like I don't know what he is, and he's a two time Vesna Trophy winning goalie, and I don't yep. know what he is. Yep, and and, and he's been. He's been bad for years. Um, you know, the, the Paul Maurice factor where suddenly you know, a lot of us who spent all year long going, man, that's got to be one of the worst coaching changes in the history of the league. And and now he's uh, he's looking like a genius. It's fascinating. And look, this is, you know, it, it, it is both the greatest selling point and, and in some sense, almost the worst part of the NHL playoffs is just that. That razor thin yes. margin between the stories. Because let's remember, okay, Boston's up three to one on the Florida Panthers. They're going in game, it's game five at home. Do you remember how regulation ended in that game? Yeah, Marchand. Before it goes to overtime. Brad Marchand with yeah. a breakaway, with to seconds left. Series. He's going yeah. to score a buzzer beater to win the series. I mean, you're watching, it was one of these long developing breakaways where you're yeah. just watching it going, this is it. This is right here, the end of the series, and he gets stopped. And I mean, every one of us, right? You watch him get stopped and you go, oh, okay, well, that, I guess that prolongs it a little bit. But that ends up being the moment that allows the Panthers, they then come back, they win in overtime. Obviously, they win game six and seven. If that, if Brad Marchand buries that, we are talking about the Bruins as a juggernaut. We're talking about the Panthers as a failure. We're talking about Paul Maurice as a failure. Yep. Uh, you know, on down the list. But that one save, that one, you know, not, you know, man, maybe the fact that if he had a little bit more time, would he have, you know, been able to deke? Would he have, uh, you know, who knows? That's the difference between, you know, Paul Maurice is now a genius. The Florida Panthers are a great story. The Boston Bruins are a team in shambles, like just an absolute, uh, you know, absolutely lost franchise. And one breakaway changes all the narratives around it completely. It's uh, it's it's really wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And and as we have this conversation, uh, 
the teams that are leading the second round right now, it's Seattle and Vegas in the West, Carolina and Florida in the East. And I'm wondering, like, obviously you think of those four teams, you think, boy, those are like very, like historically speaking, not uh, huge markets, whatever. But is that the final four that, and I know you're a Leafs fan, but just suspend Mm -hmm. that notion for a second. Is that what we should be hoping for on, like, or, or, or do we have to pull for, we need McDavid, Dreisaitl into the next round. We need a historic franchise like the Maple Leafs into the next round. Like, I mean, if you can I, suspend that for a second. Everybody's got their own, their own view on things. I, I really feel like, I, I think we do have to get out of this mindset that everything as far as what's best for the league rev- revolves around the United States. Uh, you know, the, clearly there was a time, especially early on in the Gary Bedman reign, where the, the league really had to establish a footprint down there, really had to be taken seriously. I mean, they, they had been, you know, absolute resigned to the back pages of, of the sports page if they may, if they were there at all and, and had to rebuild some credibility. And that's been done with some success. Um, but, uh, I really feel like, you know, we got to remember yeah, I know people are looking at this going, oh, ESPN doesn't want the Leafs, TNT doesn't want the Oilers, you know, all this stuff. And and that's probably true. They want, I'm sure, U.S. markets. Those deals are done. What's the next big TV deal for the NHL? It's the Canadian deal being up yeah. in a few years. And that's, that's the one that's going to come in potentially at a crazy high number. So um, this idea that it's better for the league to have all these new, um, you know, new-ish markets having success, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, obviously, yeah, look, having letting having Seattle get a taste of of playoff action, playoff wins, all the, you know, the excitement of winning a game seven, that's going to be great for the long term of that. That's an investment there. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I think there are different, different versions of this that could play out in different ways. Um, I, I, the Leafs are a monster market. I know people are sick of hearing about it, but they are. The ratings will be through the roof. The revenue will be through the roof if, if they go on a deep run. Um, th- there will be some appeal if it's if it's for brand new markets like that too. It just, you know, different ways to go. And and look, it'd be nice to see the Panthers do something because for 25 years, anytime anybody made any comment whatsoever about attendance or anything like that in in Florida, yep. we were always reprimanded. Now, you can't say that because they've had, they've never had a winner. And until a team has had a winner, you can't really judge. Okay, well, I mean, let's let's see then. Let's see what the that winner looks like, and um, we'll see if it if it reflects and uh, uh, you know r- results in in something. And I mean, Vegas is always fun, but Connor McDavid is fun, so I, I don't think there's a bad result of that series necessarily. We'll just see where it goes. It will be very funny though if we do get those four teams that are leading, because uh, I got I got news for my friends. Uh, the Florida Panther fans, you will have to take the torch as the grumpy old timers <laughs> in that final four. You'll have to be the traditionalist. You'll have to be like, hey, look, those of us from the original 24 know that back in yeah. those days, we didn't do it this way. Uh, you're yeah. just going on and on and, and looking down your nose at everybody. Uh, that'll uh, uh, that'll be your role. And it's an important one. So uh, be ready. Roll in with your Robert Sfela jersey. Be like, That's I'm right. legit. Old time. You got you kids today. You don't know what it was like back then. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, time for us to bring in our pal Jesse Granger in a segment we like to call Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with The Athletic, and he is up bright and early. Um, I don't know, not even 12 hours, like what, nine hours after you probably got home, eight out, whatever, uh, about T-Mobile? About five. Five and hours. Maybe six. Six <laughs> hours. Okay, so you're, you, you got the deep podcasting voice uh, ready to go. Um let me ask you guys this question. So we have back-to-back nights. Joe Pavelski gets four, they lose. Leon Dreisaitl gets four, they lose. When you go into the locker Jesse, you would know this from being a goalie. I'm sure when you go into the locker room after you, maybe you've made 59 saves and your team loses one to nothing, the guys probably come up to you and be like, hey, sorry, man, we should have had you, whatever, man. Is that happened with the guy that scores four goals? Does he go in the locker room? Does the players be like, oh, man, sorry, we wasted your effort? Like Dreisaitl and Pavelski? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I will say that that's the worst. Um, when everyone comes up to you and is like, ah, but you were great. You're like pissed <laughs> off because you lost. And everyone's yes. like, yeah, but but it wasn't your fault. You Because it's, it's like in your mind, you're like, well, I should have scored that fifth goal. Or I should have made, I, I know I stopped 41 of them, but if I would have stopped 42, we win the game like type of thing. Um, that is the absolute worst. That's what the players always say, man. You always see them afterwards going like, you know, hey, man, you scored four goals. And it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. Team right. team didn't win. We didn't win. doesn't matter. I would have, I would rather have been held off the score sheet. And as soon as those media's gone, there's got to be a little part of me that's like, <laughs> man, that was really cool, though. I got yeah. four goals tonight. That's good yeah. for me. Like, come on. You, you're telling me you're not a little bit excited about that? Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's. Especially a game this big. Like, I think, I don't think Drysaddle was very happy after that game. I'll just say mm-hmm. that. Um, I wasn't in the Oilers' room last night. I was in, uh, but like Jay Woodcroft after the game, not a happy camper uh, whatsoever. Um, it was, he, he was very disappointed in his team's effort. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough not to get some time. Like, and I love watching Drysaddle and McDavid. It's tough not to get the, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani vibes where you're like, how can this team with these two, the two greatest players in the game in the sport not have success? But it's only one game. And so we should probably pump the brakes. But I, I love the, the angle here, too, that we're seeing McDavid and Eichel head to head. And they were the one and two pick overall. Actually, Sean, you might know this. Mm-hmm. Like, what, like in history, is there like a memorable playoff matchup between a one and two? Like a guy taking first overall, second overall, same year. They meet in the playoffs later. It's like epic. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I, there, I can't think of one. There, there hasn't. I mean, uh, generally considered the greatest one two ever would be Lafleur and, and Marcel Dion. 
Marcel. Uh, sorry, the, how do you yeah. refer to Marcel the on uh, podcast? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's he's he's got his uh, his new nickname. He's not the little beaver anymore, man. Sorry, right. Marcel, he's, you're 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 locked in. Uh, he's so, mf'er. Yeah, Marcel he, he he never uh, they never faced each other in the playoffs. I don't believe. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed that you're already moving past the John Tavares Victor Hedman, uh, you know, the series and sequel <laughs> that we just got. Um, the big one, obviously, is Ovechkin and Malkin, right? The uh, the, the going one two in in 2004. Yeah, Washington and Pittsburgh did have some legitimately you know great rivalries and uh, and great head to heads, but that didn't feel this way because because with Sidney Crosby there, right? Like that was the Crosby versus Ovechkin series is is kind of how we viewed it. We all remember the dueling hat tricks and all of that. So I, I don't think there's ever been one that um where it not only were these the two the one and the two, but they were yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the two I, I don't know if I want to say face of the franchise or, you know, best players on the team. You you could make that argument in Vegas. You could make the argument that Jack Eichel hasn't been that risen to that level quite yet but maybe this is his opportunity to I, w- I would argue that this is the mark stone versus leon dreisaitl series um, but, could be but, could be yeah but it, it is fun to see eichel and and mcdavid out there um daniel nugent bowman and i wrote a story way back in november saying now that they're in the same like before they played in the regular season we were like all right they're in the same division both these teams look very good they both look they both have their cores for a while. This could be a legitimate rivalry. They'd have to play a few times in the playoffs. Um, obviously, we're only one game into that. But if they were to meet a couple times over the next few years, um, I could definitely see the the and like a lot of people like to push it aside and say, "How can it be a rivalry?" Connor McDavid scores twice as many points every season as Jack Eichel, and that's very true. They like in terms of one versus one. They are not a rivalry. Jack Eichel is not on Connor McDavid's level. Nobody is. Um, but at the same time, Connor McDavid would trade a lot of those points for a Stanley Cup. And if Jack Eichel gets a Stanley Cup before he does, he's not going to be very happy about it. So um, while individually, I think it is, I see why people say it's ridiculous to call it a rivalry. I do. It's That's, that's a fair point. But I also think these two guys were both incredibly talented they were both drafted to teams that hadn't that haven't been able to put enough talent around them to win Stanley Cups and the first one to win a Stanley Cup is that's that means a lot you you said that this was a Stone versus Dreisaitl series is Mark Stone's back gonna hold up Jesse for this like he took a beating yesterday Darnell Nurse a couple of times with the with the two-hander to the lower back we all saw the video of him leaving practice looking a little bit un, like uncomfortable is this going to hold up? Yeah. So I always caution people because if I had a dollar for every time someone tweeted me, man, but Mark Stone looks awkward there. Is he all right? Then I would just be able to retire from this job and just be rich. <laughs> um, Mark Stone is an awkward looking person who moves in awkward ways and he has his whole life. He's just an awkward guy. Like he, he is a stiff. I mean, if you watch him skate, even when he's fully healthy, he is very lumbering and yeah, robotic rigid. looking. Yeah. And, and like, honestly, like you watched him up in Ottawa. That's probably mm-hmm. the biggest reason he was a sixth round draft pick, despite being brilliant, because every scout watched that guy for five minutes and was like, yeah, he's great. He's killing it out here. But there's no way that that skating's going to work in the NHL. But he's just so brilliant everywhere else. He's made it work. So I will 
I, I agree. He did look that video didn't look great, but I will say I see Mark Stone walking around the facility all the time, like after a practice, he kind of just walks that way. Yeah. So I don't know how injured he was. Obviously, it was bothering him a bit because he left practice early. They were running power play drills. He usually doesn't leave until the power tr- play drills are over. So it was bothering him. Um, I'm always on the side of let's not read too much into Mark Stone's body language. Um, against Winnipeg, they did the exact same thing. Um, they were cross-checking him in the back because that's what he does. He goes to the front of the net. And when a guy goes to the front of the net, that gives you basically free reign to cross-check him in the back yeah. as much as you want. Like they're, they're never going to call that. So if you know this is their best player, he's got a back that's had two surgeries in the last calendar year, and he's going to park himself in front of the net on every shift. We're going to we're gonna cross-check him in the back. That's what Winnipeg did. It's what Edmonton did. If you watch Stone, he isn't shying away from those areas. I think if the back was bothering him, we might see him we might see he, him and Bruce Cassidy say, look, let's put him somewhere else. Let's put him over on the left circle. Let's let's change something we're doing here so that he'll stop taking those cross checks. The fact that till the very end of that game, he would go straight to those areas and take them and not really retaliate when they cross checked him in the back. I think he's fine right now um, against Winnipeg. He literally said, if they're focused on my back, they're not focused on guarding us. So I welcome it. Bring it on. Um, we'll yeah. see if how he feels after maybe another series of that. But to be honest with you, as much confidence as I can have without knowing the details of Mark Stone's back, um, I'm pretty confident that, that he's going to be all right. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about goaltending, not just in that series, but league wide. Because I think one of the fun things here, Jesse, is of the eight teams that are left, you can make an argument. There's legit questions in Carolina, New Jersey, Florida, Edmonton, Seattle. You know, it, it almost feels like every team. Every team has a question mark in goal, except for Dallas. I feel like Dallas, Ottinger, he's on a different level. The other seven teams, I feel like there's questions. Of those teams that have questions, which is the team that you think, yeah, actually, we should legitimately be questioning you the most about your, like, which of the eight remaining teams, in your estimation, has the shakiest goaltending? Because I think there's a... Uh, an argument to be made for several teams. Yeah, I mean, you're right that it's all over the place. Um, the team that I'll start off by saying the team that was the shakiest, but now I feel great about all of a sudden is the Florida Panthers. I mean, Sergey Bobrovsky, it's been a long time since we've seen him on this level, but man, has he looked good. Um, Sean's he was, head he was, just dropped. It yeah. is. He said that. It did. He looks phenomenal. Um, I would, I mean, it's. Let's see. I'll say this. Jeff Skinner. I mean, sorry, Stuart Skinner. I, I don't know why I want to call him Jeff Skinner. Stuart Skinner, the first 15 minutes of that game last night, I've never seen a goalie look more uncomfortable in a net um, than he did. In, like, he gave up three in the first period to Vegas. I thought he could have given up six or seven. Like, he was very shaky in that. And I was looking around like, man... If he can't make a save, the Golden Knights are going to win this series. Like that might that might be their only chance. Like the way the Edmonton scores, but he settled in as the game went on. So um, that definitely, like he he definitely looked better as the game went on. He got more comfortable. Um, he made some big saves in the second period to keep them in it. Um, I think the Hurricanes might be the worst goaltending situation, but their defense is so good it doesn't matter. Like that they put and like Vegas kind of in the same situation. Like I don't think. Laurent Brassois is a quote unquote Stanley Cup winning level goalie. I think he's a very, very good backup goalie who can who is proving that now that he's healthy, he can be a legitimate starter. But he's definitely not a goalie that you think that's the level of goalie we need to win a Stanley Cup. But when you have a great defense in front of him, the way Vegas has and the way Carolina played yesterday, um, 
I didn't watch every second of it because I was getting to the arena, but every minute that I watched, it was a defensive clinic. I mean, New Jersey is so dangerous. I expected them to run and gun with the Hurricanes, and they just that didn't happen at all. They couldn't find any space. So I would say probably Carolina's goalie situation, just in terms of the actual goalies themselves, concerns me the most, but it might not matter if if they don't give up dangerous chances. Uh, Ranta and, and Anderson are plenty good enough to stop the easy ones. And, and is there? It, do we have reason to be worried about the Akira Schmidt story at this point after that first game? Like, it, was there anything there that that made you think, "Oh, Carolina saw something. Carolina's figured something out," or is it just like, "Hey, I mean, it's goalies are going to goalie. Sometimes you're good, sometimes you're not." Right. I think it was bound to happen eventually. Um, just sometimes you have those games where the puck doesn't hit you. Um, for me, that's most games. Um, just <laughs> yeah, that's classic, you, classic goalie right there. Ah, yeah. The puck just didn't hit me, you know? Yeah. Let, let me, I got one other question that I just got to ask you because you were talking about Bobrovsky. There was very briefly Tuesday morning in Toronto, a, a, you know, kind of a flutter of headlines or, or, you know, maybe not headlines, tweets, speculation, whatever, because Alex Lyon left the ice first, which would typically indicate that he was going to be the starter, and then it turned out he wasn't. And, you know, they, it would have been very strange because Borowski was playing well. Borowski ends up playing, plays great. Why, what's the deal with this leaving first? Why, why does that tell us anything? Who cares? What's, you know, all of this stuff we read into practice, what's the starter's net? What's what's all this weird, uh, uh, the, these things that we have to, like, try to decipher because coaches won't just tell us who the goalie is? Right. Um, so in terms of like starters net, some teams have them, some teams don't Vegas doesn't have a starters net. They never have, um, their goalies have their nets that they practice in. Like when it was flurry and Subban flurry and Leonard Leonard and they, once the goalie has his side of the rink that he practices on, that's his net. And he practices there no matter what, regardless of who's starting. So, um, I know some teams do have a starters crease. Um, in terms of first goalie off, it's pretty, it's basically just like the logistics of it. You most teams skate their scratches longer, like the guys that aren't going to play tonight will stay out longer and get extra shots in and and just get extra skills work. And the goalie who's not playing will stay out with them because they could use some extra skills work. Maybe they get a couple extra drills in with the goalie coach and they're not worried about burning their legs out ahead of a game tonight. Whereas the starter, you go out there and like you're basically told, get what you need. We don't like don't do any drill. You don't think you need to prepare your body for tonight. Go out there, get exactly what you need and then get the hell off because there's no reason to burn your legs out um, ahead of a game. What the what I think happened and like I, I was reading that it was just part of Bobrovsky's um, his routine that he stayed out longer. I wonder if like Bobrovsky was starting these playoffs as the backup, right? Like Lions was starting the games and maybe Bobrovsky in that, like staying out a little bit longer, maybe he realized like, you know what? I'm, I feel better after f- facing a few more shots. Then he comes in, is playing the best hockey he's played in a couple years, I would say. It's been a long time since we've seen this level of from, B- from Bobrovsky. So maybe he said, you know what? I'm gonna, even though I'm starting now, I'm going to keep that same routine that I was keeping that made me feel good um, I'm going to stay out a little longer. Lions can can take off, go to the locker room. I'll stay out with the guys and get some work. And that's what makes me feel the best going into tonight. And then it threw everyone off. Or maybe it was gamesmanship. Who knows? Maybe they were trying to throw the Leafs off and, and think they were changing goalies. Could be either one. But um, I would lean towards Bobrovsky is doing what he feels is best for his body. You goalies are so weird. Paul Maurice with 
gamesmanship? That that doesn't seem <laughs> that doesn't seem plausible at all. All right. Hey, listen, Jesse, thanks for dropping by. No early uh, wake up call, short turnaround for you, all that stuff. Uh, appreciate you dropping by as always. And uh, listen, enjoy the weekend. Should be a lot of fun uh, covering that Vegas Edmonton series. Will do. Uh, if they're like that game one, um, I'll take seven of them. I can't wait, I guess. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, great stuff with Jesse. And by the way, too, I, I should add, when you were asking about the starters end with um, with the goalie, I think this is interesting because for people who don't go to practices and, and, and aren't watching that type of thing unfold, when people say that, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury's in the starters end or, you know, whatever, pick your goal, Jeremy Swayman's in the starters end, it's because they they go to the end of the ice that they'll start the game that evening. So if you're at home, it's the home side. On the road, the road side, it's the the side of the ice that you'll play two periods in because that way you're more you're, you're going to play forty of the sixty minutes in that end. Sure. Um, and, and you know maybe just especially on the road, you want to get used to. There's lighting issues. There's things are a little yeah. bit different. You know, so you've, you've only been playing goalie twenty five years of your life. You know, you've only put in literally thousands of hours in the net. You, you know, you got to get that extra fifteen minutes in that uh, that that one side, uh, so you can be like, oh yeah, look, the the puck comes from that end. Cool, goalie. No, but I think honestly, I think it's a lighting thing as much as Is anything. It really, like, like just it's, yeah, like, it's weird. Man. Like, okay, goalies are well, as you know, goalies are weird. They just like to to visualize exactly where they're going to be. Anyway. That's why. That's when they. I'm still it. telling you, man. Uh, this is, this, we need to do the thing where we need to do the thing where we give all the fans shirts that are white on one side and black on the other, and you have them flip them around so that the other team's goalie is always looking into the yep. black shirts. Won't be able to find the puck. I'm telling you, man. That's that's you want home ice advantage back in the NHL. That's what we need. This is your million. Do- You've had this idea for a long time. Uh, and yet nobody seemingly is. It's it's like when people go crazy, right, with the, the free throws. But I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like the league would 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 end this pretty quickly. Uh, but it's a good idea. It's if good I only idea. had like a superstar celebrity that could help me get this yeah. out there, I'd be <laughs> all good. <laughs> Where's Maya Rudolph when we uh, when we? Do? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Let's uh, let's open up the mailbag. A reminder, you can get us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. We also love to hear your voice. A voicemail is at uh, 845-445-8459. So uh, Jason has a question. Does Sean have a comment or a statement about those two fans that go to Toronto Maple Leafs games at home at the Scotiabank Arena and wear the jerseys of the other team and root for the opponent? Uh, are they mortal enemies to you, Sean, or... Under these, even under these circumstances, you got to tip your cap to them. That comes in from Jason. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. This, this is one of those things where it just, it, it feels like in hockey, something like this happens. We have to either think it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, it's so funny! Can you believe it? What a, what a great job! Or you have to be mad about it. You got to be like, oh, you know, you can't do that. It's, it's. I think it's you. Hey, you pay your money. 
sit in the stands. You can you can do it however you want. Uh, it's you know there was kind of we, we sort of got the heartwarming story uh, a couple days ago about you know it's a father and daughter and they're bonding and all that. And then you know some other people dug up some stuff that yeah, maybe this isn't quite the feel good story that uh, uh, you you might think. But uh, at the end of the day, hey, um, you're 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 good to uh, you're good to, uh, to to express yourself however you want. Go to the games, whatever. It's it's kind of a neat neat little story. It's fun that people picked up on it. The only thing I will say though is, all you fans out there, that every time I make a reference to like these anti Leaf fan like weirdos who are just like that's their whole personality, and people always tell me they go that that doesn't really exist. You're making that up. Just look at this. This is what I'm talking about. It, it, we're not making it up. These people are out there. Um, and, and since they are, they can, you know, they can have fun with it, express it however they want, but they're, they're there. We're not making things up here. Okay. Dan writes in, had to write into you guys after last week's episode of the pod, you discussed the idea, the hypothetical scenario. Would you rather have your favorite team be good for 30 years in a row, but never win the Stanley cup or win the Stanley cup once in 30 years, but miss the playoffs 29 other times for me. Says Dan, uh, my answer's changed as I've gotten older. When I was in my teens and 20s, I would have said, give me the championship. That's all that matters. After all, what's the point of rooting for a team if you uh, can't win a championship? But I'm 35 now. And I think my thinking around this topic has changed dramatically. At the end of the day, I'm watching a team. It's all about entertainment. And uh, even in the last three years when my Flyers have been clearly pathetic, if I was to go through a stretch year after year where my team has no hope or getting better, it's grueling. It's crushing. So I would much rather watch the puck drop on opening night, believing that this could be our year. Um, you know, why would I want to watch a sport where 29 years out of 30, it brings me no joy by the middle of February? Give me the excitement, the hope of October, the thrill of the belief in April, and yes, the devastation of the loss in the playoffs. I'll take that over apathy. No questions asked. Thank you. You guys are fantastic. That is from. Dan, the Flyers fan. I like it. It's, I mean, that's that's a solid way to look at it, and I, I can't, uh, I can't really argue. That's uh, that there. You have to find. I've, I've, I beat this drum so much lately, but you have to find the fun in this league beyond just oh, we won the Stanley Cup because ninety-seven percent of the fans out there are not going to see a Stanley Cup every year, and if 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 that's the only time you're allowed to be happy, it's it's going to be a pretty miserable experience. Uh, Gabe writes to us and says, we were talking about last week, uh, Peter Kleem is scoring in triple overtime. Uh, he wants to point out, just want to let you know that the Boston Garden lost power again in that series, game one. Uh, just so you know, the power went out there again. And uh, I guess he's even got, he sent us the link of the VH, mm -hmm. uh, VHS copy of game one that he has. Yeah. He uploaded it. He's, there was a power outage in he's 1990 right. and 1988. I, I've, I've, and I completely forgot all about that. And, uh, that's, uh, and, and the reason I forgot about it is because unlike in 88, it didn't cause the game to be postponed. We didn't get the, the very rare Stanley cup final tie, but, uh, yeah, that did happen. And that was the, uh, the, the Peter Klima game, which, yeah, Peter Klima, we, we lost Peter Klima just this morning. So, uh, kind of comes full circle to, to mention him again, that, that memorable goal, Late into the yeah. night, and uh, as uh, as is pointed out, even a little bit later than it, it probably should have been. Uh, Bruno writes in, here's a challenge for Sean, maybe an impossible one. Can you find the best player that played for the team 
that he had the same initials as the team, i.e. Montreal Canadiens, Mike Camilleri, M-C, mm-hmm. Montreal Canadiens, Mike Camilleri. Um, I feel, have you not done this? I feel like, I, have see, you done this story? I, I had the same reaction. I'm sitting there going, this feels familiar. This yeah. does feel like something, but I'm, I'm not completely sure. I, I feel like I did a, a variation of this where maybe I, I, I did a roster of all guys who had initials that matched with an NHL team, but not necessarily a team that they had played on. So I, I don't know, man. That would be, that would be a tough one. I'm, I'm trying to think of any obvious ones that jump out, and, and, and then of course you get into the tricky stuff where you get, you know, what do you do with the Tampa Bay Lightning? What do you do with, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. There are three initial teams yeah. out there, the Maple Leafs being one. See, I picked a team other than the Leafs, so I wouldn't seem like I was just the complete. Complete home. Vegas, Vegas but, Golden uh, Knights. Are there? I, I don't know. Are there? Are there any that jump out as being like, you know, very obvious? Like, oh yeah, this is. Oh, this is the one that uh, that would be the best. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I got one. Okay, I got one. Okay. Hmm. I'm gonna see if you can guess it. Okay. Ottawa Senators. Ottawa Senators. Is that uh, Oleg Freakin Saprikin? Is that the guy you're going with? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oleg Saprikin. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the symbol <laughs> of how many trade deadlines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, that's that's a good one. I mean, there's some that, you know, if we could get, find a way to get like Brent Burns traded to the Bruins, that would be a good one. You need to, Connor Hellebuck could go to the Hurricanes. That Well, that could actually happen this year. So, you know, we might, we might be on one there. Um, boy, I'm just trying to think if there, you would think that there would be some out there that would just jump out at you, but I don't, uh, I don't have any, this, this one has to go out to, um, to the listeners, obviously. Right. I mean, we, we gotta, we gotta hear from them because I'm sure there are some, I'm sure people are yelling at us right now that, uh, uh, you know, we are yelling Peter uh, Popovich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You you morons. You great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Sammy Bielis with the blues for a little while there. That That's uh back and forth. You could, you could do that one. But, oh, as far as like legitimate stars, man. I don't know, man. I'm going to, yeah, I, you know what? You're going to hear the distraction in our voice for the rest <laughs> of the show as we're just like secretly <laughs> combing through, trying to figure this one out. We're like, yeah. Oh my God. That's a great, yeah. It, even just trying to find a Hall of Famer that has the same initials as a team is such a challenge. Like, just think of the best players in the game. Wayne Gretzky, no. Mark Messier, no. Connor McDavid, yep. no. Sid Crosby, no. Eric Lindros, no. Like, uh, Yep. No, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's, it's a tough one. And then you look at, like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, Ted Lindsay didn't play for the... Toronto, well, I guess Toronto Leafs, Toronto Maple Leafs. You did, you never had, uh, you know, Mahovlik. Uh, doesn't doesn't work. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, but I guarantee they're out there. So maybe somebody, the answer uh, is Mike Camilleri, Montreal Canadiens. Maybe after that all is of the that, we're going to come back. After all, yeah, then that could be the absolute best possible one. Well, that's okay. You know what? I thanks for this. I didn't want to get any work done this this week anyway. So I guess uh, I guess I'll just be doing this instead. Oh, man. Okay. One more email here uh, from Richard, who says- Daryl Sidor. Daryl Sidor played for the Stars, Stars. Yeah. Yes, he All did. Right. There we go. He's no Daryl Sittler, but we'll we'll give him that. Oh, there you go. See? Okay. Uh, 
This one from Richard, an email. Uh, Sean, I got a question uh, for you about the supposed, uh, supposed lack of fandom that sports writers claim. As an unapologetic Leafs fan and a brilliant sports writer, I'd like your opinion on this. Do you actually buy this? And if so, do you think it's serving a legitimate purpose? Frankly, I don't. I think you can read the frustration and heartache in so many writers when they cover a struggling team. Likewise, the joy and ecstasy bleeds when they write or speak about a team's success. They can sometimes be found using we and us when they're discovering the, uh, discussing the teams they cover. I don't understand what pretending to be not emotionally invested in these teams serves. What's the purpose? Your fandom enriches your writing immensely. Other writers' best work is usually their most passionate stuff where they veil their fandom, uh, where their fandom is ve uh, veiled thinly. I get it that no reporter or writer wants to be classified as biased Homer, but I think there's a huge difference between that and openly wanting the success of your team. Um, thanks. Love the show. Go wild. That comes in from Richard. It's, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I am very open about the fact that I am a fan. I remain a fan. People know that when they come to my work and they can decide whether they think that's a positive influence or a negative or whether I work around it or, or what, but at least my cards are on the table. So in that sense, um, you know, I, I, I'm okay with it from that perspective, but I'm not a journalist. I'm not breaking stories. I'm not making judgment about what's news and what's not, what I'm going to dig into, what I'm going to chase, what I'm not. None of those things are are in play for the sort of writing that I do. So it is different for me than it would be for your typical beat writer or, you know, any anyone who's who's covering the league yep. in a much more hands-on way than I am. Uh I will say this. I I think that I do think that having that fan's perspective does help in in a lot of things. It probably gets in the way in others. Um, I unlike uh, unlike our listener here, I I do believe when when a beat writer says, "Hey, I'm not a fan anymore." Like I do I do believe that. And, and you got to remember, a lot of beat writers have moved to take jobs or to take opportunities. So even if they were fans growing up, it's not necessarily of the team that they they cover in fact a lot of the writers we have here at the athletic have talked about how like they grew up as a fan of one team and then life takes you yep. somewhere else and and you end up covering that team um you being one of them uh i i i'll, I'll say this i do think that there are times where you do see some of that maybe uh maybe some of that subjectiveness bleed into some coverage out there not always um but but you you do see it sometimes that's not necessarily fandom speaking it, it's in a lot of these cases if you're a beat writer you're around this team a lot you know these guys you know the coach you know the gm you know you you are uh you know it you you may or may not personally like them uh it's just human nature that you're going to want good things for them. And it's also human nature that you're going to want good things for your team. Cause I know some people yep. say, Oh, the media, you guys love negative stories. Everybody loves to cover a champion. That's the best, best run you can have. You're, you're going to get more readers. You're going to get more attention. Um, you want your team to do well. So I think sometimes when you see, you know, as a controversial call happens or a controversial hit and, and the beat writers jump in and they always seem to be on the side of, you know, the, the, the team, team they cover. 
Yeah. That might just be because, you know, they they see the coach being mad and they know that coach and they go, he's a reasonable guy. And, uh, you know, they just sort of lean, lean that way. Maybe it's just human nature. And also, they also have a readership. And while the readers might say, we don't want homers, is you yourself know well, you say one little critical thing about the team and they jump all over you. So yep. I don't think it's fandom. I don't think it's a big problem. I think it's just a little bit of human nature bleeds in and we can just sort of allow for that uh, because at the end of the day, everybody's doing the best job they can. Everybody wants to to do the job right, but we're human beings too. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not, uh, we're not machines here. And, and so I think we can allow a little bit of that and just understand where it comes from. Yeah. You know what? That's, that's a good way of putting it. And I, and I am in that boat. Like you said, I am one of these uh, writers and reporters that covers a team on a beat and, it's it's a tight rope, and he, but here's where I come down on it. I think it's okay to be pa- like I think here's the problem that a lot of reporters have is that they feel like in order to be objective, you have to suspend your passion, and I think that's the mistake, right? I think you mm-hmm. can be objective and passionate, and I know that it seems counterintuitive, but I think you can. I think I think you can be objective. I think you can, and I think it's my job is to try and capture the spirit of this from an Ottawa fans perspective, right? Like that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to explain things to you, for you. And I need to look at it through your lenses collectively as as an Ottawa fan. And so um, I think you can do that. And and I agree with you 100%. Like I want to see the team that I cover win the Stanley Cup because quite frankly, that's going to be great for me. Like selfishly, like why wouldn't I want to be on a magic carpet ride that takes the city that I live in on this uh, great trip to the Stanley Cup and they win it and it gets like why like wouldn't that be what we all want like and it's okay to want that and i think you're right like i think as long as you don't go there there's a line that you cross that you don't want to be uh, viewed as a ridiculous homer but there's the other side is you don't also want to just be super bland and and robotic and write stuff that is just so objective that it sucks the fun out of everything, right? Like yep. there's there's a happy medium. And if you can exist in that place, I think most fans will appreciate your coverage, right? You would hope so. Yeah, you you would think. You would hope so, but you never know. All right, let's wrap it up with a little this week in uh, hockey history. We actually, Sean, I think it's the first time ever. Mm-hmm. We got a request for this week in hockey, hockey history. Request I like it. From Tom in Chicago. I think the first time we've ever had a this week in hockey history request, according to our producer, Danielle, which I, uh, I 100% believe that this is the case. Tom in Chicago says, I would love to get a little bit more in-depth history backstory on this week in 1994, when the San Jose Sharks did the unthinkable as the number eight seed knocked out the Detroit Red Wings. Amazing David versus Goliath story. One of my favorite hockey memories from high school. Thank you for your consideration that's from Tom in Chicago. Like, as if we had to debate, I don't know if we should take Tom in Chicago. We got so many other options, Tom. Mm-hmm. No. So, 94. I, yeah, a, a, a great upset. And, you know, it's it's interesting in the these days now that we're talking about, we've, we've just seen what the Panthers did, what the Kraken did, and a lot of people are trying to put those upsets in historical context. And I've kind of made the case that we almost have to say pre-cap and post-cap when we're talking about upsets because in a 32-team league versus back in the days when it was 21 or 22 or whatever, uh, it, it's it's almost a different scenario. But the, the context here is the, the Red Wings and the Sharks, the Red Wings were heavy, heavy favorites. 
And when you look at the records, there, there was a big gap, but it's, it's not enormous. But you got to remember the context here. This is the third season the Sharks have been in the league. The first two seasons, they have been quite literally historically bad. Two of the worst seasons that any team has ever had. Just an absolute nightmare mess of a team. Um, embarrassingly bad. And, and that's embarrassing even in the context of early 90s expansion teams. Just an awful team. Then they get to year three and they make the progress. They don't finish 500, but you didn't need to back then to make the playoffs. And they get <laughs> in. And if there was ever a just happy to be there team, that should have been it. I mean, it was a miracle that the San Jose Sharks had had made the playoffs. Uh, and uh, now they're going up against this Red Wings team that has for years been building up a Stanley Cup contender. They lost the year before to the Maple Leafs in round one. And that was, you know, that was an upset too. But everyone's going, okay, this is now, now it's liftoff for the Red Wings. And, uh, and it doesn't happen. The Sharks go out and they win game one. Okay, you know, we upsets happen. Wings come back at a shutout win in, in game two. And then this was during that kind of weird time in history where when an Eastern team and a Western team met in the playoffs, <laughs> Yes. Instead of 2-2-1-1-1, it was 2-3-2 two, three, two, two, three, two. to reduce the travel. So they then go to San Jose for three games. They're tied 1-1. So it's a dangerous situation for the Wings because you can, in theory, you could be you could have home ice in a series and you could lose in a series where the other team got more home games than you. Very strange for, for today's way of thinking, but that's how it was done back then. Detroit wins game one in San Jose and everybody goes, okay. There, there we go. Now now we know what's, uh, you know, Detroit's going to roll. It probably won't even have to come home. But the Sharks win game, game four. Sharks win game five. And now it's panic time. Now the Sharks are up 3-2 in the series. And they're heading back to Detroit. And everybody is looking at this going, man, are the, are the Red Wings going to collapse again? Are they, are they going to fall apart? Is this happening all over again? And the Red Wings go out in game six and they just kick the doors off the San Jose Sharks. They win that game seven to one. And again, everybody goes, ah, okay, here we go. We're, we're, we're right back to it. Um, but you got to remember that, that it's that same thing. had pretty much happened the year before against the Leafs with the Red Wings had been down three, two, and then they had won game six, you know, seven to two or something like that. And then they had come home and lost same thing plays out. And that famous game where, um, you know, the, the Sharks jump out to a two, nothing lead. Detroit comes back, ties it pretty quickly early in the second. And then the Sharks are just hanging around and hanging around, uh, until in the third period, Chris Osgood makes the, the terrible giveaway, just shoots the puck up the, up the boards, gets picked off by Jamie Baker. And he shoots it into the open net, uh, a play that a lot of people, including me, remember as being like a last minute thing. It wasn't. There's there lots was like of time ten, left, right? There was like 10 yeah. minutes left in the... It's it's sort of like the Steve Smith goal is the other one that everyone remembers is like the 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 final minute. Um, but just a shocking moment. I remember watching that game and just just being like, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. And and sure enough, that holds up. And uh, and the, the Red Wings get sent packing. An enormous upset. The Sharks go on to play the Leafs in the next round and almost do it again. They... they they came within a crossbar of winning that series too. Gar Garpenlov? Uh, Garpenlov in overtime yeah. in game six. Yeah, so, no uh, I mean, just a, a fantastic run and and probably the one that hooked an awful lot of Sharks fans on on hockey. And yeah, the, the Archers-Urbe series, 
Um, but one of those ones where it's 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 funny because it's 94, right? You look back, Arthur Zerbe stands on his head, steals a series. Well, he had an 876 save percent. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that would get you benched these days. It, Chris Osgood actually had had the better save percentage, but Chris Osgood um, only started five of the games. Bob Essenza came in and and started a couple. And and the other thing that was interesting about this series, just as I'm looking back on it now, seven game series, 1994. Remember, zero fights in the entire series. Uh, and remember, this was this was the. The Red Wing. This was the Bob Probert Red Wings. Uh, so I, you almost wonder if that was part of it for the Sharks to say, like, "Hey, let's let's not get trapped into that old Norris Division style. Um, let's see what we can do skill wise." And Igor Larionov was on that team. Um, Sergey Makarov was on that team, and uh, so you know some of that skill. We all remember Detroit as being the team that you know brought over the the European players, but San Jose had a little bit of that, and. Uh, and that was really the series that created this, this reputation that the, those 90s Red Wings, it sounds crazy to say it now, that was a team in crisis. They couldn't win the big one. That was the team that was not built to win. And there were people who, you can't win with Steve Eiserman. You know, he, yeah, he'll put up the big numbers in the season, but uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it done when it counts. Um, they go to the final the following year, but they lose. They get swept by the Devils. Um, and, and it takes a couple more years before they finally get over the hump. But yeah, this, this one, it felt like a monumental upset because we just could not believe that the San Jose Sharks, this punchline joke of a team was going toe to toe with the Detroit Red Wings. Man, you know, what's funny is that, so Jamie Baker, who scored that game seven, uh, late goal, a hero in San Jose, he lives in Ottawa now. Uh, great guy. Uh, in fact, I was just, I was out with him last week, um, with, with a bunch of people having a beer, watching some uh, some playoff. What a great guy. What a great storyteller. And mm -hmm. he just has great stories. And I'm going to make you feel, re everyone's going to feel really old. Oh, no. Uh, because I was trying to tell Jamie, I'm like, look, I got to get you out. Jamie Baker is interested in playing pickleball. That's going to show you how old <laughs> we all are. Jamie oh, no. Baker, I told him I'm going to play some pickleball with him. Okay. So, well, I, yeah. hey. There you go. Don't get out of position, man, because that guy, he he knows how to take advantage. Boy. Sneaky, yeah. Sneaky Jamie Baker. Yeah, but a great great guy with with, with like uh, unbelievable ability to tell stories. So he'd, uh, yeah, he'd be a fun guy to, to play some pickleball with. All right, that does it for the hey, uh, Thursday. I got a Hall of Famer for you. He oh, wait, play, oh, with, with he the initials? The team. I knew you were distracted. He was the whole drafted time. by the team and he did play for the team. It's a little dicey. Peter Forsberg, the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh yeah! All right, well, we can take that them. one. He played 100%. for them, but he wasn't—he wasn't Peter Forsberg when he played for the Flyers. But he did play for them, so I, I feel like oh, yeah. no, that, we can accept that one, right? Oh, I, that talks Mike Camilleri. He's—he's he's a Hall of Famer. There it is. So we got one. We got one for you. Oh man. Okay. Well, There's you probably know some better ones though. So let's it, I, hit I don't us think up on we're the topic. Peter Peter Forsberg. Yeah, hit us up with the. Uh, the email. Thanks everybody for listening to the show. Yeah, that email is the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. And uh, if you're not a subscriber with us, you get a one-year subscription to the Athletic for two dollars a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. <laughs>